Welcome to the Ag Future Podcast, presented by Alltech. Join us as we explore the future of farming, food, and nutrition. I'm talking with Debbie Phillips Donaldson. As editor-in-chief of Pet Food Industry Magazine, it's her job to keep a sharp eye on trends in the industry, and she joins us to share some of those observations. Thank you for being with us, Debbie. Thank you for having me. And so let's begin with a big question. What is the outlook for pet food marketing, the industry, the market? Overall, very positive. Um, it's The market is still growing at about 4% a year globally, which you know is better than most other consumer goods industries. In some of the emerging markets, it's, it's growing even faster. But even the very mature markets like North America and the U.S. especially, it's still 3 to 4% growth a year. And is it undergoing change being reshaped? And if so, what's driving that? Oh, you know, it's one of those industries like any consumer goods industry that is always undergoing change. Um, same as with human food. So that is one big influence is what's happening in human food. But I would say the overall driver would be just the consumer interaction has just, you know, ramped up the last five to 10 years for human food and definitely for pet food. So they want to know so much more about what's in the food, where the ingredients come from, how is it made. And that's really causing, you know, pet food companies to really be on their toes and to pay a lot more attention to what they're putting in their food. Not that they've never done that, but they uh, are being, you know, being forced to be more transparent about it, which I think is one of the big changes. What would you say are the fastest growing pet food categories? Right now, they're the um, what you would call alternative formats. Uh, so the raw, freeze-dried, um, baked are all fastest growing. But keep in mind, those are much smaller categories to start with. You know, dry food is by far the largest category around the world, and in some markets, um, wet or canned food. But the growth is definitely happening in those newer types of food. And what about these so-called indulgence items, toppers uh, and additives or supplements, inclusions, I think they're called? Yes, that's definitely another very fast-growing category. And I would say that they're not even necessarily indulgences in all cases. They're becoming much more um, functional. So a lot of them, like treats, have functional ingredients in them, and companies are marketing them that way. In your role as an editor, what issues come to your attention as mattering the most to today's pet food consumers? Well, I would say definitely the transparency, as I mentioned before. They, uh, ingredients are always big. You know, what is in the food and almost as importantly for some people, maybe even more important, what's not in the food. Um, you know, that isn't necessarily coming from a base of, of knowledge or sound education about it, but that's what they're thinking and, and wanting to see. Are traditional brick-and-mortar pet product retailers able to keep up with to compete with the big online operations like Amazon or Chewy, now owned by PetSmart, uh, Petco, Walmart, those big ones? Uh, It's a huge challenge. It's definitely Mm. a challenge um, all around the world, I think, but especially in the more mature markets. I think in the U.S., um, you know, the independent pet stores are trying to stay ahead of the game by, you know, offering much more of an experience and there is some data showing that millennials, which are now the largest owners of largest group of pet owners, seem to value that experience. But of course, they also shop online more than anyone else. Um, in Europe, it's even more difficult because it's harder for companies to price competitively. In the U.S., they can establish what's called MAP or minimum advertised price, and so companies can try to ensure that 
what's being uh, charged for one of their foods online. It's not undercutting the independent pet store retailers too much. In Europe, that's not allowed to happen. So it's a challenge. Amazon recently launched its own line of dog food, WAG, I think it's called. Yes. And it was just the latest entry in an expansion into the online pet retail market. Should competitors be concerned about that? I think so. I think so. I'm, I would say that pet food companies, you know, should be concerned, but again, retailers should too. You mentioned that uh, transparency is a concern among consumers. How is the pet food industry leveraging technology to become more transparent and to be more helpful to consumers? Well, um, obviously, social media is a key way to do that. I would say that a lot of pet food companies are still trying to find their way in how to be more transparent. But, you know, there are technological ways. So, for example, I know some companies will have a barcode or a QR code on their packaging, and consumers can scan that and see exactly where the ingredients in that product came from, Uh, you know, to go to an interactive map, if you will. So that's the kind of things that they're doing to aid transparency. Are there some leading latest trends in pet food ingredients? Anything that you're seeing in human food as being big is definitely big in pet food, too. I've heard even that sometimes pet food leads human food, which didn't used to be the way it was. But, you know, grain-free is still huge, which sort of plays off the whole gluten-free trend in in human food. Uh, Proteins, a big focus on proteins. And with pets, that's often novel proteins. I was at this big trade show in uh, Germany two weeks ago called Interzoo, and I actually saw a pet food with camel in it. Camel. Camel is the protein source. Um, That's really novel. But so protein and then, you know, the plant-based ingredients are becoming much more interesting and you're seeing more and more of them being used and consumers seeming to to seek them out. What about black soldier fly larvae? Yes, yes. Insect protein is definitely um, at least getting a lot of attention, whether it's actually being used a lot. Uh, In the U.S., it's not yet approved as a pet food ingredient but supposedly that is being fast-tracked as much as regulatory things can go quickly. Mm. Um, it is, it is uh, I believe it is legal now or close to being legal in the uh, EU. And so you do see pet foods and treats in the EU with insect protein. And black uh, soldier fly larvae are one of the big ones that being developed right now. Are smaller dogs gaining an appeal and are yes. there implications for dog food? Yes, yeah, smaller dogs are definitely much more popular around the world. Um, as urbanization increases around the world, that's you know makes more sense for people to own smaller pets, including cats and mammals, but definitely small dogs. And so, for the implications for pet food, is that you know you're seeing a lot more of product devoted to those types of dogs, and that is everything from the size of the kibble to the shape of it to everything else to the packaging size. Packaging sizes are definitely declining. There's data showing that, and that is one factor why. Looking globally, what are some emerging pet markets? Asia Pacific is one of the fastest growing regions, and within that, China. China's booming. You know, only 2 to 4% of the population there own pets right now, but as Incomes keep rising there. More and more people are owning pets and, and spending money on them. You know, the, the growing middle class are, is not at all shy about spending money on their pets. And so that's booming. It's growing, you know, by double digits every year. And then um, Latin America is still growing strong. Um, Eastern Europe has some strength, although that's lessened a little bit in the last few years. Um, middle East and Africa is growing quickly, too, but those markets are tiny right now. 
Obesity, is it as much of an issue in pets as in humans? And if so, how is that influencing the pet food industry? Yes, it is a very big problem in pets, especially in developed markets. It's probably around 50% of pets are deemed to be obese or overweight. One of the issues is that a lot of owners don't recognize that their pets are obese or overweight. (laughs) And so there's an education gap there that is a struggle for uh, veterinarians and pet food companies. Um, you know, in terms of product development, though, there are lots of already lots of weight control products out there, and I think there's some other research going on that is looking at specific ingredients that can help with that, um, with satiety and adding fiber and things like that to help with weight control. You know, we hear so much about fake news, and we're all having problems with uh, the matter of information and discerning what's real and what isn't. What are the challenges that this age of misinformation present to the pet food industry? They're huge. Um, I would say that that's one of the the drivers behind this um, consumer desire for transparency. You know, about most well, been eleven years now. There was a big, huge pet food recall, two thousand seven, uh, where uh, a Chinese supplier deliberately contaminated an ingredient called wheat gluten with melamine to try to boost the protein content. And it caused all kinds of, you know, terrible sicknesses and deaths, unfortunately, among pets. And it was massive. And I think it really shone a light on the fact that a lot of people didn't know what was in their pet's food, where it was made, how it was made. And the industry has come a lot farther since then in being more transparent and understanding this, but there's still a big gap there. And so into that gap has rushed all kinds of misinformation, as you said, myths. Um, I always say the internet abhors a vacuum. And so, you know, there's all kinds of advocates, um, some, you know, well-informed and some not, activists, if you will, if, you know, how terrible pet food is, et cetera, et cetera. So it's, a, it's something that the industry has been fighting for a good 10 years now. And I think they're getting better. I think companies are getting better, but there's still a long way to go. Any trends that we haven't touched on that you're keeping an eye on? Well, we we uh, touched on the whole online retail trend and growth. Mm-hmm. Uh, there's another trend that's on the retailing side that's having a big impact on the industry, and that is what's called mass premiumization. So it used to be that the premium pet foods that had certain product features or claims, natural and holistic and you know, limited ingredients, et cetera, et cetera. Those were pretty much exclusive to the pet specialty channel, pet stores. And, you know, five to 10 years ago, some brands started figuring out how to take those products and features and offer them at a price point. And it, it was worked in grocery stores or other mass marketers. And they've been hugely successful. There's brands out there that have been hugely successful and then, in fact, have been requ- acquired by human food companies recently. So it's caused this huge shift into the types of products that people can find. I mean, it's great for the consumers, but it is disrupting different elements of the industry. Uh, That's one trend. Um, I would say another one would be, uh, you know, the health and wellness and ingredient focus just continues to grow and more research aids that. We'll be hearing a lot this week about nutrigenomics and other omics technologies. That's definitely at play in in pet food and pet nutrition. You know, personalization and customization is becoming more of a focus of the industry too, aided by things like nutrigenomics. So there are a lot of trends happening that are moving in lockstep with what's happening for humans. Debbie Phillips-Donaldson is Editor-in-Chief of Pet Food Industry Magazine. Thanks for being with us, Debbie. Thank you. Thanks for listening to another episode of the Ag Future Podcast, presented by Alltech. 
For show notes and more episodes, visit alltech.com forward slash ag future.